This is the Made It in Music podcast, show 110. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Seth Mosley, host of the Made It in Music podcast, and we've got a good one today, episode 110 with Henry Seeley, pastor, songwriter, worship leader, mixer, and record producer. This one was absolutely inspiring. For those of you guys who know, me and my wife have been attending a church, which he pastors called the Belonging Co. in Nashville for the last several years. And it's absolutely just, you know, regardless of even if you don't pay attention to what goes on in the church world, or you go to church, you don't go to church, you cannot deny the impact that they are having. It's been an absolutely rocket ship rise in terms of them putting out a record, seeing 20 million streams independently without a record label, and Henry also winning a Grammy Award, mixing a record for Israel Houghton on the side. This is a guy that has done a lot of stuff and has a lot of wisdom. They talk about making the big move from Australia to the U.S. Many of you guys out there have maybe considered you know, do I need to move to a city like Nashville, LA, New York, the places where the music hub is? And for some of you, the answer is absolutely yes. For them, uh, it's been a huge thing. They didn't necessarily make the move with the intention of, you know, even starting a church, let alone putting out a record, but it happened and it probably wouldn't have happened if they weren't here. So um, he talks a lot about protecting the big picture of what God is doing in their ministry and in their vision. And he also talks about the latest book that his wife, Alex Seeley, has just released not too long ago. It's called Tailor Made. If you guys have not read it, it's an absolute life changer. Get it on Amazon, wherever you get books. Again, that's Tailor Made by Alex Seeley. So this one is worth taking notes. Sit down with a nice cup of coffee, however you enjoy listening to podcasts. For me, I listen to podcasts a lot while I'm doing dishes, but this may be one to do while you can actively listen, i.e. when you're not maybe doing something else. But before we jump too far in, I just wanted to say thank you for helping us grow this podcast. Leave us a rating and review. It's how people discover us. If you haven't already done that on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, head over, leave us a rating and a great review, and it will help people um, to discover it. And lastly, we love hearing from you. If you've heard something that's inspired you or you have a follow-up question maybe on you know something that I said or something one of the guests said, shoot us a message. Shoot us a message at support at fullcirclemusic.com or you can DM us on our Instagram account. It's at official FC music, as in full circle music. Follow us there, hit us up there, and let's jump into the interview with Henry Seeley at Full Circle Music Studios. Henry Seeley. 
Thanks for being here today. It's good to see you, man. It's man, good to be here. It's good to see you. We're uh, near neighbors. Yes. Never get to really see each other that much. <laughs> um, you're a busy man. Belonging stuff is just, I, I don't know how you how you navigate all of it. You got records. You just, you, obviously, yeah. the church is growing like crazy. Yeah. Expanding, you know, into every, seems like, area of, you know, <laughs> business and commerce and influence and culture and just it's 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 mind-blowing it's a good season yeah <laughs> so it's been a been a stretch yeah but it's good i'm i'm always uh always up to be expanded and stretched and grown so yeah it's good so it's, take us all the way back to the beginning for our audience who yeah. is familiar with your stuff what was your very first dollar that you made in music wow uh would have been as a songwriter many many years ago and uh, I grew up in a city called Adelaide in South Australia, and uh, I was just part of a part of a uh, local youth group there, and and uh, we ended up doing a like a student conference uh, one summer, and uh, you know we had put together the worship team for that event, um, and we ended up doing that kind of uh, every summer annually after that, and uh, I guess as the conference grew. Um, you know, so did I guess the the identity of the worship team that was involved with that, and uh, in in the early days, you know, we were just a, a high school youth group, and we would do anything and everything. I mean, we would like, you know, do Hillsong, we'd do Ron Canoli songs, oh, yeah. we would do punk versions of old hymns. I mean, we yeah. would just literally do everything, um, and it really was out of that that I, I guess, I just started to to write songs that were an expression of what was happening kind of in our youth ministry. And, uh, you know, when I first started writing, I mean, we didn't, we didn't even understand anything about, you know, royalties or publishing or, or anything like that. And, uh, in fact, the first record deal that we were offered, um, we basically, they wanted us to turn over 100% of our publishing for life to the label and all this sort of stuff that I look back at now and, and kind of laugh at. But yeah. there were some crazy things, uh, you know, that you you just kind of live and learn along the way. And I've been thankful for, you know, good friends that I've been able to just call on and, mm. and uh, ask advice. And, uh, you know, you, you always need to just be asking advice from people that have, have kind of gone there before you. So, yeah. And yeah. and so for audience who's not familiar, you, you came up in Planet Shakers in yeah. Australia. Is that? Yeah. Yep. So that was the uh, the movement that we birthed, and uh, so I was part of that for uh, almost twenty years, probably eighteen years, I think. And Amazing. Produced maybe fifteen or sixteen records, I think. Wow. So, so you definitely yeah. got your ten thousand hours. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was crazy too because you know we we grew up in a city where, um, you know, like we didn't really have a decent studio at all in our city. Like I I didn't even see an SSL until I'd been kind of involved with music for about probably 14 or 15 years maybe. And uh, like that to me was just like, you know, you're not a real studio unless you have an SSL, at least back in the days. <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, I, I mean, our city was just so small and, and there was no one that really knew kind of anything about that sort of stuff. And so a lot of my life was just figure it out, you know, jump in and all right, here's a, here's a mic pre, what do you do with that? You know, here's yeah. a compressor, how does that work? You know, and it, this is kind of... So you didn't have any training for that? No. Nah. Formal college or nah. audio engineering school or anything? Nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Figure it out school, 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 school as you knocks. go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, which, you know, I look back and I, in some ways, I, I kind of wish that I had some people that I'd been able to learn from. Um, but I'm also thankful that, 
you know, really made me dig in and and kind of figure some of that stuff out, which I'm, you know, I'm not afraid of. I, I love to just jump into into the unknown and, and see if I can yeah. figure out stuff and, and kind of push it beyond its limits and all that sort of stuff. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a been a wild ride. Yeah. So. so we usually ask, and this is an interesting question because your path has, you know, been an intersection of music and uh, songwriting and uh, ministry and, 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 you know, pastoring churches as well. So yeah. this may not even be completely a- applicable, but like between your first dollar earned in songwriting and going full-time, was there a moment that you kind of went full-time in it? Um, I, I, I guess for me, I was probably already full-time in it in the sense that I was, you know, employed by a church to kind of oversee the creative aspect yeah. of our youth ministry, which back when I started doing that, I didn't know of anyone else that was in a role like that in Australia, um, you know, on staff as a creative, especially for kind of a student ministry. Um, so my role was pretty varied anyway. Like there was a quite a, a, a you know a broad gamut of stuff that I had to do as far as you know looking after team, um, not just from players but also you know pastoring them, um, all the way through to, to writing and music production. Um, and so from that point of view, I've probably you know been doing this full time for you know over twenty years. Um, but there's been you know there's been different different seasons along the way uh, in two thousand. Uh, 2006, I think it was. No, 2008. I came off staff for that church and just, you know, I was traveling, like leading worship uh, and also just mixing and producing records. I had a studio in my house in Melbourne and uh, had an SSL and, you know, all that sort of stuff there. And, and so I was... I guess at that point I was full time yeah. in music production. So you, you would kind of hone your chops and learn by doing all these church records. So yeah. how were you getting work? Were people just hearing... Stuff you done through the church? Or? Yeah, mostly, uh, pretty much. And so I, I mean, I've obviously mixed just tons and tons of worship records, um, and I think, you know, I love the fact that I, I, I guess, in some ways, have a unique um, perspective on that. Being a worship leader, having run a team, understanding the songwriting process of it, understanding the church side of, of you know, staff, and then also the production side of things. You know, I, I've met plenty of people along the way who are really great at the production, but don't understand. How that, how to navigate that in a church environment, and how you know even just how a worship record should feel as opposed to you know just a, a pop record or something yeah. like that, just flow wise and all that sort of thing. So I think for me there was I've been able to really draw on every every season of my life to kind of hone some of those skills, especially in the uh, you know in the worship kind of. Yeah, well that that's what I the first time we met I, I thought was so interesting because. I think it might have been on a songwriter's retreat mm. and our, our mutual friend Mia Fields, mm. uh, who I've written with for probably coming up on nine, ten years yeah. now, um, kept inviting me to this Tuesday night <laughs> basement that her friends were hanging out and doing. I didn't even know what it was. Yeah, we didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so she kept inviting me. And then I think we met on a songwriting retreat yeah. and... Um, the thing that struck me was interesting was like you you're you have your hand in sort of all of it. Yeah. Like you're you're obviously the guy at the front, you're you're pastoring, you're leading worship, you're doing the music, but then like you're turning around and mixing your own stuff. That's a kind of rare I don't yeah. really know anybody else who's doing that. I don't know anyone else crazy enough to be doing that, probably. <laughs> um, and I, I think some of that really was was kind of birthed out of necessity in the early days. We um 
I guess back in the early Planet Shakers days, we were flying a guy from Nashville out to, to mix in Australia. And uh, we, uh, we mixed at a studio one time that was, it was actually the, the first studio to have an SSL in, in Adelaide. And this SSL was, I mean, it was a, I mean, it was not good. You know, like literally <laughs> the first day we're patching in and there's smoke coming out of the back of the console. Mm. Uh, so it was one of those. Um, gotcha. But, you know, this particular guy who's an amazing engineer, but, you know, it just wore him out, like flying back and forth, you know, every six months to come mix records for us in Australia. And uh, I remember telling my boss one day, you know, hey, you know, this guy, I think next record I'm going to have to go to the, you know, go to the States to mix it. Yeah. And my boss was like, no, I think you can mix it. And I literally <laughs> said to him, I was like, well, I'm going to need the same tools. And he's like, so you need an SSL? And I was like, okay, let's do this. And so for me, I'd never mixed a record at that point, but I just kind of jumped in. Um, and in fact, the first record I mixed on the console was a 5.1 record. And the console wasn't set up for 5.1, but I'd read that Bob Clearmountain had done a similar thing on his SSL, somehow kind of transformed it to mix 5.1. And I was like... Bob can do it. So can I. Let's do this. So I just figured it out. And, you know, there's been a lot of that along the way. And so I think even at this point, um, you know, I, I'm, I've had to learn even in this season, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I kind of live this balance too of, I know, I know what I want, but I also know that, um, you know, there's other people to bring on that journey. And sometimes you think you know what you want, but actually someone else has a really great perspective on that as well. And yeah. so in the last few years, it's really made me step back and go, okay, just because I can doesn't mean that I should be, Yeah, you know. And so I think finding that balance, even with, you know, we released this record with The Blowing last year. And um, I think initially everyone, myself included, thought that I'd mix it. And then, you know, I got mixing on it and I did more mix revisions on the first song than I'd ever done on anything in my life. And I realized Just like overthinking I'm it. too close to this. Yeah. So I need to step back and find someone else who I trust to, to take it. And, yeah. you know, and we did. And so. so Sam Gibson ended up doing it. Yeah. So Sam, Sam mixed it. And uh, he's based uh, in Cardiff in Wales. And uh, he, he and I had never met. He's actually from New Zealand, but he's lived in, in uh, the UK for the last 15 or 16 years. Mixed, obviously, uh, a lot of the Hillsong United stuff. But he had mixed a, a lot of the earlier, like, Delirious records, mm. well, in fact, the the later Delirious records, to be honest, um, and you know, just an amazing engineer. And so I called him and just said, "Listen, man, can you can, can, can you do this yeah. for me?" And so, but it was actually a really beautiful experience to sit in the studio with, you know, a great mix engineer, and for the first time in probably a decade, to sit back and not be the mix guy, mm. and to be able to sit there and just enjoy what it feels like just to be a producer again and yeah also you know the interaction between two mixed guys in that scenario you know was really i think it was inspiring for both of us so yeah good. well that's that's so interesting so i there because that's another part of part of your story that i don't even know if a lot of people who would listen to belonging records and um i mean how many streams you posted something about it the other day what what how many streams does it have since it came out uh i think Total song streams is over twenty million so far on the on the record. Um, so yeah, yeah for, for just a on new Spotify. church record, that's that's so. completely independent, as yeah. well, mind you. Yeah, which is absolutely crazy, and I, I and I want to get to that because sure. that's I'm sure a lot of people want to know how in the world does something like that happen. Yeah. But there's a whole nother side of, of of you that is a Grammy winning mix engineer. Mm. So you ended up winning a Grammy mixing a, yeah. a Israel Houghton record. Yeah, right? I did. 
And uh, that was, it, it was a great record to mix. It was one of those funny things that I, you know, I've never mixed, I guess I've never mixed for accolade, if, if that makes sense. You know, I've never mixed because I could get something out of it. Actually, I, I love music. I love to write it. I love to play. Yeah. You know, I love leading worship, being on stage, you know, in, in, in a church scenario. But I love the production side of things, obviously, as well. And so for me, like mixing a record, it's just, it's another creative expression of, of what I get to do. And so, you know, we were, we must have been close to being done with the record. And, you know, someone, in fact, I think it was after we were done with the record and people started texting me and they're like, oh, you know, are you ready for your, for your nom? And I was like, what's a nom? And they're like, you Grammy nom. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, Israel's won, you know, however many Grammys before and, you know, it's a no-brainer that he's going to get nominated. And to me, it was months after the record that, you know, before I even started thinking about that stuff. And so it was, and to be honest, we were we were kind of neck deep in church at that point. And mm -hmm. so I was not really mixing much. And so, you know, to kind of fast forward a few months, end up at the Grammys, you know, the, the record won a Grammy. And it, it was almost... It was almost hilarious, to be honest, because I was like, this is the season where I'm not even really focused on mixing now. And, you know, this comes along. But it was a, a, a sweet little kiss, I think, just, yeah. you know, of, of lots of years of hard work. So Yeah. Yeah. So let's transition into the belonging era. What, mm. I mean, what what was the story of that that yeah. kind of led up to obviously putting out a record? I, yeah. I think when it started, it wasn't even necessarily a church. No. Let alone trying to go make records or no, something like that. No, <laughs> it's still not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a church. It definitely is. But we, um, so we moved to Nashville in 2012 and we, re it was really just because we felt God kind of opened that door for us. And we'd, we'd felt for a couple of years is staring about moving to the U S. Um, and so we really just put out a fleece and said, God, if, if we're meant to be here, you're going to make a way for this to happen. We're not going to force it. Um, and so we'd heard about, uh, the, this diversity visa lottery, aka the green card lottery, um, and so we applied for that, and it really is a one in, you know, one in a million, maybe one in a ten million chance of getting it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they, the year that we applied, the we uh, we entered it. They came around, they drew it. We didn't get it, and I was a little bit perplexed because I really thought that we were going to end up with it. And then uh, we got an email a few weeks later saying that. They had, they had messed up the drawer, and so they canceled it, redrew it, and we got selected in the redraw, which was wow. a whole crazy story in itself. That's crazy. And so we uh, we literally just moved to Nashville just knowing that, you know, it, we didn't actually, we didn't know anything, to be honest. It was just that feeling of this is where we need to be. And I really fought it because I I loved some elements of Nashville, um, but I'd, I'd experienced some things in different church environments here that didn't, I didn't love. Um, and there's, you know, some amazing people here in town. Um, but to me, it always felt like the, the church had kind of been a bit polluted by some of the greater industry stuff. And, you know, hear what I'm saying in that, like there's some amazing people here, but I think there had been a few people along the way that had taken some things down a, a path that it didn't need to go. And that, you know, that kind of bothered me a little bit because we'd grown up in something very organic and, and not contrived at all. And uh, so I was a little bit tentative of, of the way the industry and the church kind of, you know, worked together here in town. And so I was like, God, just send me anywhere else but Nashville. <laughs> I think it's too much for me to comprehend, you know. But Just like the industry in and in a 
What what about it was so? It sounds like maybe overwhelming at the time. It, it was it was a little overwhelming, and I think for me, um, you know, we like what we'd had had just grown so organically, and and every time I'd come to Nashville, it felt very. Um, Everything was just a, a very precise move. Mm. Um, and this was a, you know, we've got this in place here and this in place here. And, and I, you know, had been to a few churches where it was, it was less about a worship team, more about, you know, a worship leader, artist in residence kind of thing, which I was not familiar with that concept at all. Sure. And so it felt a little bit like, hey, you know, here's my latest single, go buy it on iTunes tomorrow. And, and Who's the rock star leading worship. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, that, I think not being able to reconcile some of that made it a little bit tough um, just to get my head around initially. Um, but, and some of that was my own ignorance, just not understanding some of the people and obviously that, you know, the way things had worked in this town for a long time, um, but also seeing a need of actually some of this can probably be done a little bit better. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes it takes an outside perspective just to shed a bit of light on something because you can yeah. get so used to doing something a certain way that you think it's the only way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had plenty of times in my life where people have come in and said, hey, have you thought about this, you know? Yeah. And in, unless you've got that outside perspective, it's it's hard to see that. And so, anyhow, we moved here to, to Nashville in 2012 and I basically just brought my studio with me, set up a con my console in, in a house here in Franklin and just started to mix records for people and and again was just traveling leading worship and you know we we spent the first year looking for a church went to um 25 or 26 different churches wow. and some really great churches um yeah. but we'd, we'd walk out and just something in me would just be like this is not home and that was really frustrating to me because I, like we're such local church people I was like we're going to walk into the first church and be done this is home let's get plugged in let's get involved and and uh, obviously that was just God kind of reserving something for us that he had down the track mm. um, but during that first year I really started to meet I guess a lot of uh, you know touring artists worship leaders you know crew people uh, a lot of people who, you know, they leave town on Wednesday or Thursday, get back maybe Sunday night or Monday. And so for a lot of them, they went around on Sunday morning, which is when, you know, 99% of church kind of takes place mm. here in town is, is Sunday morning. Um, and so, I, you know, we felt, we, we met a lot of people who felt quite disconnected from local church. And some of that was a church, you know, issue. Some of that was their own issue. Um, let's just call it what it is. Sure. Um, and and some of it justified, some of it maybe, you know, but regardless, you know, all these people we began to meet, you know, Alex and my, my wife and I were praying one day and just were saying, God, someone needs to someone needs to do something about this, you know. Mm. And yeah. we just felt that smile of like There you are. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> No way, no, no. So uh, after a little bit of, of stubborn resistance, we, um, you know, we opened up, we started opening up our home on a Tuesday night um, just for some of these people who were disconnected and really because we were like, they, they don't need another excuse to not be in church. Like, let's, let's, let's help bring them back in. And so we thought that it was going to be, you know, like a smaller community group of people, mm. which it started as. And uh, we just met every other week for the first nine or ten months. And it was, I mean, it was seven people the first week. And it, it really probably only got to about 20 or 30 people in the first ten months. 
And then in the September of 2013, we we started meeting every week. And within three months, it just it went from 30 people to 130. And, mm. you know, and I started to get a bit of panic of like, no, no, I can see what's happening here. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want that. I'm yeah. not a pastor. I'm not, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was my own fear of, of never having, you know, kind of led from that position before. And, uh, but, you know, we had to just trust that God had the right thing. And so in February 2014, we launched as a church. And for the first two years, just met on Tuesday nights. Then we started adding Sunday services as we went. But from the beginning, obviously, it's Nashville. And so we had a lot of creatives. And because we were doing Tuesday night, it was very accessible for people who were out on the road. And so, you know, naturally, we started to draw a lot of, you know, artists and worship leaders and musicians. And and um, people from the get-go were saying, you know, when are you going to do a record? And I was like, we're never doing a record. <laughs> this is We're not that church. You know, all those things that you say you know, because of past experiences or whatever. And uh, it, it got to a point a couple of years in where I realized, you know, obviously we have these amazing songwriters and God's doing something in our church. Um, and there was this real stirring, to, again, to, to kind of put voice to that. And to be honest, the first couple of songs that we wrote really were birthed in worship moments in church. So it wasn't that we necessarily sat down in a room and went, all right, here's a great idea, let's write this song. Yeah. It was more the end of a, of a service where we were just, you know, there was ministry time and, you know, me and myself would be Leedy or, or, or Carrie or, you know, whoever was involved at the time. And, and uh, you know, things would just start to come out naturally as a response to what was happening in the, mm. in the, um, in the room. And so... There's a song on the on the record that we ended up releasing um, called "Greater Than All," mm. and the majority of that song, that's where that was birthed. Wow. And for two and a half years, we had basically the chorus, which I thought was just a bridge. Yeah. I just sang it spontaneously, um, and and we had that, and we would do it, you know, every couple of weeks. It would just make its way into a worship set. But I thought that's all that song was going to be, and then realizing actually that was the basis for something else. Um, but I guess as, as we began to see, you know, that there was um, something powerful that happened when we began to put voice to the specific things that God was doing, mm. that's when I realized, you know, there was something in this. So the first writer's retreat that we had, um, I sat the team down and just said, look, we're not here to write for a record. We're not, we're not trying to release an album. What we want to do is write songs that are a response to what's happening in our church and that give voice to that. And if they work in our church then there's a good chance that they'll work in other churches, but mm. let's worry about that stuff later. You know? yeah, yeah. And so that's what we did. And so we just wrote and wrote and wrote for church. And, uh, you know, the album really was just, we got to a point where we just had enough stuff. Reco- we've, we've recorded every single service since we first started. Yeah. And so the album was a culmination of, you know, probably six months worth of different recordings. And um, because, you know, I didn't want it to be contrived and manufactured. I wanted it just to be, Hey, this is our church. This is what's yeah. happening, and here we are. So yeah. it's incredible, and <clears throat> you hit on it a little bit just with some of the maybe apprehension about the industry and not wanting to maybe assimilate with that. Um, yeah. I think. Well, no, not I think. I know that that was well founded, and and again, so many great people in the industry. But when there becomes a certain way of doing things, people yeah. kind of just forget to rock the boat every now and then yeah. or just forget yeah. that that's, you know, not the one right way to do things. Yeah. And the thing that I was talking to Logan about this yesterday, but it's just so surprising to me that there's not another 
church in Nashville mm-hmm. that is doing what the belonging yeah. is doing or has done what the belonging is doing. Yeah. They've all, you know, up till now come out of, you know, Northern California mm-hmm. or Sydney or, mm-hmm. you know, Adelaide or uh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, all these, all these other places. Mm-hmm. But you think of all places like. Yeah. I, th- I think there's good reason for it though. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, people, this is one of the interesting things about Nashville. The majority of people move here with a career in mind, like yeah. with that, with an end goal that revolves around themselves, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's what's in their heart. And I think um, it's, it's maybe been the same way, even in a church scenario where some people can come into that environment and still think that it's another platform and it's another opportunity for it to be about them. And I think, you know, as a, as someone who's been in the worship world for a long time, to be able to navigate that in a town where that's kind of been the focus um, and help bring some perspective, you know. And also I think there's, you know, there are a lot of aspects involved in this. And it's, it is it is a difficult thing, especially, you know, I can't imagine being a pastor who doesn't have any experience in the music industry mm. or in that world, yeah. trying, to, trying to lead and navigate people's lives and careers and what that looks like in the perspective of church, of church is actually a very challenging thing. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't know if there's, if anyone's necessarily had a great model and, and this is part of my ignorance of only living here in this town sure. for a few years. So I'm sure there's been plenty of great things that have happened. Um, but I know for us, one of the things that we really wanted to do was just protect the, the big picture of what God was doing, you know, in church and that not to diminish people's individual careers, but when it came to church, yeah. this was not, hey, you know, come next week because we've got guest worship leaders such and such leading, yeah. you know, and yeah. using people's names as a, as a marketing tool. We actually were the complete opposite of like still to this day. It's like you don't know who's going to be leading ch- church and it really doesn't matter because we're not there about whoever's leading. We're just we're there to worship Jesus, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so we have this, you know, massive worship leading roster but they're all people who are plugged in, part of serving in our church home. They just happen to have a, some of them happen to have a, you know, a big platform outside of church. But, you know, at church, yeah. Carrie's not Carrie Job. She's just Carrie. Yeah. You know, Meredith Andrews is, is not Meredith. She's just Meredith. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mia's Mia. It's, yeah. it's not this, hey, we've got this big guest. It's, and I think that's been one of the things that has really helped us to kind of navigate that. But also, again, it's it's taken the focus off the individual and and realized that, you know, the Bible says one will put a thousand a flight, but two can put 10,000 a flight. The exponential power and influence that can happen when you have a conglomerative of people mm-hmm. who really just have a common heart goal. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I think has really been the, you know, the, the crux of the, the foundation for uh, influence and any sort of, if there has been any sort of success with the belonging, I think that's actually been it. It's not been the individuals, it's been the group together. Yeah, so. and I think I think from the outside perspective, you know, people would look at it and say, well, you know, of course, yeah, you've got Lauren Daigle, you've got yeah. Carrie Job, you've got Cody Carnes, you've got Mia Field. It's like a, it's like a really a who's who, mm. but... And, and from the outside, people probably would look at that as, yeah. as man, that was a contrived thing. But yeah, yeah. The fact that yeah. you guys were literally trying to do the exact opposite yeah. probably is the exact reason yeah. why that caliber of people yeah. 
have yeah. been so interested in becoming yeah. a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and it really has been that. And I think the way you really begin to see that, you, you know, obviously, um, you know, the record is not, it's not just people who are well known. There's other worship leaders yeah. on there that you've had probably people had never heard of until yeah. the, the record came yeah. out, but they're not less than, you right. know, it's not like, Oh, well, there's the, you know, the really great moments and there's the kind of fill in moments or anything like that. It really is. I, I feel like there's something powerful start to finish on the record. That is again, much less to do with the people than it is to do with the, the environment, the atmosphere of that. And so and we've definitely had that question from people of, you know, and heard those, those statements around the place. Ah, oh, you know, you guys, blah, blah, blah. You, you use this and use that. And at the end of the day, honestly, I, I completely understand where people are coming from looking at it from an outsider's perspective. Um, but to be honest, if you asked any one of those worship leaders on our team, you know, like if you talk to them about about life in in our church environment, that it's home for them. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like when when Carrie. I mean, Carrie has been with us since we were in the basement, and when she finally you know relocated from Dallas to to Nashville and and called the belonging home, she. I mean, she called us up and said, "Hey, I don't want to worship lead. I just want to be on the greeters. You know, I yeah. just want to be on the door." And we were like, "That's awesome." we're going to end up with this huge queue of people wanting to meet you on the door. And so let's not do that. Let's actually put you in the place where you, you know, you gifted and anointed to lead. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, any one of those guys would, you know, or girls would and have, they do everything from set up chairs to, you know, write to lead worship to do baskets for the green room or, you know, because it's home for them. So, Well, I think that's why we've resonated so much with it because it really is a servant mentality. I think a lot of people maybe show up I would imagine being at this point, we haven't chatted about this, but I'm sure everybody and their brother comes, you know, I want to go to the belonging so I can get on stage yeah. and worship. Leader. Yeah. Like now yeah. that, now that it has become what it has, yeah, yeah. but yeah. you guys always do such a great job of dispelling that, Hey, mm. you know, the platform's not the end goal. Like yeah. the, I remember the first time we came, um, or one of the first times we came, it was like, you know, Danny Goki, who's this mm. major artist is like telling us where to park our yeah, car. Yeah. 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 And, Loving it. Yeah. And still is on the yeah, parking. And bit. still does parking. Yeah. Like, and it's, so yeah. I just think that was such a good testament. Yeah. Of, yeah. You know, yeah. You guys do such a great job of protecting that yeah. mentality that the, the platform yeah. is not the, no. the end goal. And I think that's, you know, I think people get afraid that if they do something that appears lesser, that they, <laughs> you know, I don't know, they lose some form of respect or something like that. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's actually the complete opposite in the kingdom of God. And, you know, Jesus, he could have come to earth any way, any way he wanted to, but he chose to come in the most humble way possible, you know, all the way down to him coming as a, as a child who didn't even know and had to learn. I mean, like, that's, that's how humble Jesus was. And I think if, if we live life from that perspective um, of realizing that, you know, we, it's, it's our honor to serve people. It's our honor to serve our community. It's our honor to you know, to serve the people around us and serve alongside with people. Like even for Alex and I as the leaders of the church, you know, like I still, I'll still show up to set up every couple of weeks. Yeah. Because I actually love it. Yeah. It's a great, you know, I love getting to know people and being around people. And it's just because I'm the the pastor of the church doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not, no, it doesn't mean that I have to do everything and be yeah. a martyr and blah, blah, blah. But I actually love the community of people. And so for me, I'm like, I just want to be around people. You know, I want to yeah. be there 
doing stuff, doing life with people. So yeah, so good. Well, it's it's very <laughs> evident, and um, man, the the success is is one thing, but there's there's a lot of real you know, there, there's, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that people don't yeah. realize when they see, okay, Belonging has a, a song on top viral, mm. you know, international Spotify yeah. charts and whatever you said, 20 million streams or something mm. like people see all that, mm. but that's really just mm. sort of the, the front facing yeah. Yeah. outward expression of what's happening. It, it is. And even that stuff, I mean, it was, it was interesting when we were, you know, when we were getting ready to actually compile and release the whole record. Obviously, we do have worship leaders who are signed as artists with all the different labels here in town. And, uh, you know, just kind of navigating that whole piece. And then that, that you know, the wrestle of, of what do we do with this? Like, how do we, what's the best way to steward this and get it out there? And, you know, having the option to, to go pretty much with any label that we wanted, but also realizing that could potentially bring its own challenges, um, you know, because we do have so many labels involved. And so for this first record, I was like, you know what, I, I just feel like we need to step back and, and put this out there and see what God will do with this. And so it's it really has been, I mean, nothing short of a miracle, some of the, the, the reach, you know, these songs have got to. But I, I think honestly, it's because we, we haven't written with an album in mind. We wrote with songs in mind that mm. would, you know, grab a hold of people's hearts and cause them to have an encounter with God wherever they're at. And so that, for me, I feel like that transcends, you know, labels, that transcends genre, that transcends people groups, that actually gets to the heart of people. And so I feel like that's one of the reasons why, you know, these songs just have kind of taken root with people. And, you know, and also we we don't know. We're like, we're learning some a lot of this stuff as we go and just saying, all right, God, you just yeah. take the lead on it, you know? Well, I think probably the thing that I've, Obviously, I'm excited about all of that. But one of the things that most people probably don't even realize is that in Nashville, in Christian music industry, just we'll, we'll pull back the curtain a little bit. When an artist is on a record label and another artist is on another record label and they want to do a collaboration together just because they're friends and they wrote a cool song, you would think it's just let them do it, right? It's good win-win for everybody. That's not been the case in no. our industry. No. And it's actually really sad. And it's a shame. Mm. Because I, I I do think everybody wins in the end. Yeah. It's only helping. It's, yeah. it's but but instead we've had this mentality, and which is something we're trying to to, to break in our yeah. in our corner of it is yeah. let's not consider each other competition. Let's yeah. let's look at each other as collaborators. Yeah. So for what the belonging was able to pull off in having all of these artists from different labels, from different backgrounds, mm. from different parts of the world, and put them all on one project was mm. the first time that I that mm. I can ever remember mm. that has happened here. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't yeah. come without its lack of challenges, I'm sure. <laughs> it, did, it was a journey and it, it did. There were a few conversations near the end where it was like, hey, listen, you got 24 hours, you know, and if you don't want your artists to be involved, that's fine. But this is what it's going to be. Um, but I think, you know, I think this is honestly where it's it's amazing to me in the sense that the world actually knows how to do this quite well. Like the mainstream yeah. pop world yeah. collaboration is just, I mean, it's the way of the future. Yeah. You know? Or even in country uh, in Nashville. Yeah, country. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it's just a fear thing of people missing out or losing control or, you know, and this comes all the way down to individuals, you know, in this. So this, I'm not just talking about, you know, labels or, you know, those kind of teams, but it's, it's when, I believe it's when someone is afraid 
if you look from the perspective of if that person wins, then I miss out, you know, that we have this limited pool of resource that, you know, if you if you get a great opportunity, then that means I miss out on an opportunity. But I, again, I believe the kingdom of God is completely different to that. It's the total opposite, to be honest. It's one of the things that I've loved about watching you on your journey for the last couple of years where you, you made a definitive shift from actually I'm going to keep everything yeah. to now I want to I want to resource everybody. Yeah. I want to get this out. I want to be generous, as generous as I can be. Yeah. And what has it done? It's opened the door for absolute yeah. favor and blessing on every yeah. level. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. And I, I believe it's the same. And, and, you know, and I'm really, I honestly am praying that there's a shift in our city from that point of view, that if we could understand, and I think there is, to be honest. Is. I'm yeah. starting to yeah. really yeah. see yeah. that in people's lives. Um, just this shift from... You know, fear of missing out to actually, you know, if we could live open-handedly and be generous with what we have um, at, at every level, you know, I believe that, that that it opens the door to favor that really yeah. can't be explained. So, so good. Well, yeah. let's rapid fire through the last full circle five. Yeah. What book do you most commonly recommend people? And you are allowed to plug. <laughs> well... Aside from the Bible and my wife's book, um, which, yeah, I mean, I have actually, obviously my wife just, um, for those of you who don't know, my wife just released a book a couple of months ago called TaylorMade. And uh, it's been, it's actually been really amazing to watch the response, uh, especially from guys. And then, in fact, when she was writing it, the first three or four people that she had read it were not, were not women. They were were guys who came back with lots and lots of, you Mm -hmm. know, positive feedback about it. And so... Um, yeah, and it's and really, you know, the, the, the whole book just kind of deals with with identity um, and you know value of yourself and and how you see yourself, and so it's it's really I think struck a chord with a lot of people, and so yeah, it's um it's definitely something I've been yeah. recommending recently. We'll, 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 we'll link it in the uh, in the description of yeah, the awesome. video. So awesome, yeah. thank you. Uh, second question: Failure only turns into a lesson if it changes your perspective on something or alters the way you behave or you, yeah. you see things. So in that sense, in your story, yeah. do you have a favorite failure? I mean, I don't know if you could call a failure a, a favorite thing, um, <laughs> but I definitely have probably the most significant um, failure, I would say. Um, it was about 10 years into about ten years into our marriage, and, you know, I'd kind of been doing the music thing, you know, at that point. And really had developed some pretty bad patterns, kind of, you know, work patterns. And, um, you know, having a studio at home is amazing if you've got the discipline to know how to do that well, but I didn't at the time. And I also was in an environment where I was a little bit overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And so I'd fallen into this pattern where I was working through the night, probably three, four nights a week, you know, going to bed at five or six in the morning, getting up at eight to go to meetings. And it just was a very unhealthy way of doing life. And I couldn't, I actually couldn't see a way for it to not be that way uh, until one morning I slipped into bed at about 5.30, I think, and about 7.30 my wife came and woke me up and said, hey, I love you, um, but I can't do this anymore. And mm. if, if you want to stay married to your work, then you can't be married to me and mm. we're done. And, you know, it was... <laughs> as far as failures, it was a pretty epic yeah. moment in my life of like, I have to do something about it. And to be honest, what, what I struggled with and, and what it took her a minute to process was I didn't actually didn't know how to get out of the, the routine and the rut that I was in. Yeah. And so it really took for me to, 
to humble myself and say to my wife, I actually need you to help me because I can't do this on my own. Yeah. Which at first she thought was a total cop out and rightly so, you know, it's like, what do you mean you can't change? So, but we, you know, we really walked that journey as, as a couple and I thank God for those moments because what it did is help me reframe and reshape. And to be honest, everything about my life changed, mm. you know, health, sleep, work, productivity, all of that increased, you know, like exponentially because I, I wasn't resting. And I mm. thought that by working more, I was going to get more done, but I was actually getting less done. Mm. And so, you know, that, that just reshaped everything for me. So from that point on, even when I was working in the studio, even if I had clients there at five o'clock, I was like, hey, I'm out. I'm going to spend time with my kids. I'll yeah. see you. if we need to work tonight. I'll be back at 7.30 or 8 and we can work for a bit then. But this is family time and, you know, stop working weekends and all those sort of things. And so it just, for me, that was the pattern that I needed to get into. And so that really was the, the biggest failure that was uh, produced the most results. Yeah. So. Well, that can often be the case, and I don't want to dwell on it too much, but there's an entire conversation in what you just yeah. said. But that can often be the case even in church culture. Oh, absolutely. Where it's all-encompassing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you essentially have your family being the one paying the yeah. price for you yeah. being full-on 24-7 yeah. in yeah. ministry. And that was yeah. exactly what was happening because it was that was part of the thing for me because what I was doing was for church, was for ministry. And so... And so you I'm have this whole other saying, layer where it's like, yeah. this is for God. Right? Yeah, that's like, right. You know. and, and, you know, it's, I think part of it was an environmental thing, um, but I definitely, I can't blame the environment for the decisions that I made in that. Mm. It was my bad patterns that got me into that and my, my own, I don't know, my own wrong understanding of that. And so, and to be honest, one of the things that really uh, was something that I had to really wrestle through when we started church, when we were you know, about to start church, was how do we not end up in that same predicament, you know? Mm. And and I had to work it out. Like, I really did. I had to work out. And, you know, when you, it's it's one thing to work for something, but when you're leading something, I mean, it is, I yeah. think about it 24-7. Yeah. So, but even in that, having the boundaries and the framework. So now our, our staff, um, we, we give our staff Friday and Saturday off so they have mm. their own weekend before church um, so that they can they can go away. They can have a life outside of that. And I mean, I don't know many churches where people have two days off, at least yeah, you know, most yeah. places I know of, it's just one day. But I was like, I want I want my staff to love their life mm. and in 10, 20 years time be going, man, this is, that was the best season of my life was yeah. being involved there and still being able to have, you know, downtime, time to breathe outside of ministry. So. Mm. So good, man. Yeah, yeah. I I want to dwell there, but but it's it's uh we'll we'll move through the rest of our questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so much there. Um, so before you made this made the jump, let's just even talk about making the jump to moving to America, because mm. that to me is probably the the clearest moment that you were like, okay, we're we're either all in on mm. this or we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. You know? Yeah. What what was the number one that held you back? Number one thing that held you back from doing that before you just. Yeah, made the, took the plunge. Um, th there was a bit of a journey to that, and and this is where for me, um, and you know, as as a Christian, not someone who just goes to church, but someone who really like I I I I've got to know God in a deep relational way over the years, um, and so this for me was part of the journey of that. Of you know, we talk about having faith, um, but I. I 
I didn't really understand what that meant until I got to some moments where I had nothing else but faith to hang on to. Mm. And uh, there was a couple of situations that we had before we left Australia. Um, my, my first year of freelance as a like mixer and producer was I've made more money than I'd ever made in my whole life, mm. you know, at that point. I was like, this is amazing. This is awesome, you know. And then the second year I got um, got involved in a in a project with a label and I was living in Australia at the time and the labels in the States and um, long, long, long process with this band. And then right before we got done with the record, they dropped the, the label dropped the band and I didn't get paid for any of it. And I actually lost tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. And I, I remember in that journey, I mean, it, it was one of those pivotal moments of like, I mean, I'm, I'm done. Like we, I couldn't pay my, my daughter's school mm. fees. You know, we couldn't pay our mortgage. Like it was, we were in, like in deep and in that moment that fear of all right if i'm trusting in myself as my provider i'm done like it's over but i have to now realize that you know i'm not my own provider god is is the provider and in fact my work is not my provider my publisher is not my provider my clients are not my provider i have to either you know live in that place where i think i'm providing or where i'm trusting that god's providing Mm. and so for me realizing that it wasn't in the years of increase or the years of decrease, but actually God was just consistent through that whole time. Mm. And that when we walked through that season and trusted God and allowed him to provide for us, even when we couldn't provide for ourselves, um, that for me was, was the moment that I, I, I realized actually there's no reason to not do any of this stuff mm. because if, if I'm, if I'm relying on the work to be there, then you know, when the work yeah. runs out, I'm, I'm hosed. Yeah. But if I'm trusting God that he's opening the door and leading us into this, then I can trust that he's going to provide for us the whole way. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, when we moved to Nashville, I had nothing. I had no work, yeah. nothing lined up at all. And it wasn't an ignorant decision. We, we had followed, you know, God's pretty clear markers of us being here. And um, two weeks after I moved here, I got a phone call from someone out in Phoenix saying, hey, could you come help me mix a record? Mm-hmm. And and that was it. That that record opened the door to mix another record, which opened the door to mix another record. And so, you know, and all of that, we've never, since we've lived here the last six years, I've never once, you know, worried about finance because I made that decision. I, I'm going to trust God to be my provider, not myself. And so, and I know that that, that might be a struggle for, for people and maybe not everyone watching is, you know, is a believer. And I mm. totally, you know, understand where you're coming from with that. Um, but for me, that, that's been my journey and I've watched God be faithful as we've trusted him in every decision that we've made. I've watched him be faithful to provide for us every step of the way. So, so good. So what's one thing that is working for you right now? I mean, I feel like everything really, it's, I, I live in a very interesting position right now because I'm pastor. I'm also, you know, overseeing production of kind of albums for belonging, writing, leading worship, traveling, you know. There's all of that stuff kind of mixed together. And there's there's been moments that I've really kind of sat back and pondered whether or not I should have just pursued one area of my life mm. rather than been a jack of all trades. Because mm. I, I get frustrated by that sometimes of like, oh, if I just had done this one thing. But I actually love the diversity and I love the fact that I'm involved in so many things. And so quite honestly, I feel like, you know, I, I've really, 
everything that's working, I feel like it's it's things that God has opened the door for and I've just kind of followed and walked in it mm. and facilitated rather than instigated mm. a lot of it. I don't know if that gives enough clarity it's on that, good, but that's really it's a good answer, yeah. This is really how I've tried to live my life, just following the, the cues from God, not bashing down doors until they open, but trusting that if he closes a door that it's yeah. it wasn't the door. You know? Yeah. Well I can I can relate to that. And that's <clears> that even just us sitting here, not sure that this is that beneficial to listeners, but for me personally, it's really beneficial to hear yeah. because I struggle with that too of like, okay, I, I did the artist thing, that's out of my system, but now I'm producing records, I'm a yeah. songwriter. Yeah. Uh, we have this publishing company, we have this label, we have this academy where we're pouring back into people. Yeah. I struggle with like, should, you know, should yeah. I just pick? Yeah. Pick one, you know, <laughs> but I always feel like, no, no. I shouldn't like no. that's, you know, so it's just no. validating for whatever yeah. that means. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the beautiful thing about that is that you get to bring other people in on that journey. Yeah. And for me, I know if I was just a mixed guy, I would quite happily lock myself in the studio and never see a soul yeah. and never invest in anyone else. And, you know, that might be awesome for me, but it's, it's, it's such bad stewardship of my life yeah. and, and the gifts that God has given me and the opportunities to just to, you know, encourage and work with other people. I think for me, that's been the thing where I've had to step back and, and, and realize this is about other people more than it is about me. It's about yeah. raising up other people. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's what you're doing brilliantly, man, is, is investing in um, not just the next generation, you're investing in our generation mm. of, you know, how to how to shift some things in our own culture, in our own town, and, and not be afraid to yeah. step out and do stuff that's not been done before. I think it's, you know, so courageous and, and about time. Yeah, so. well, I appreciate it. La yeah. Last question. If you woke up tomorrow morning and all of this stuff that you've built uh, kind of just fell yeah. apart if it disappeared, but you yeah. have all the experiences, the yeah. knowledge, the relationships that you have, yeah. and you had to start from square one, you could do anything you want, where would you start? Wow. <laughs> um, I, I would start with the people around me, and I would see who God's brought into my life. I think if I, if I look back, on the early days of doing what I was doing, especially from a production point of view, I really probably thought it was about gear more than it was about. Mm. I, th I thought gear was the answer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I probably would spend way less time trying to figure out what gear I should buy mm. and way more time just trying to do something good with what I had. Mm. And I think the, the older I've got, the more I've learned to do that. Yeah. You know, even all the way down to, to making demos on just the most simple piece of gear you've got and, and pushing yourself to make something really good out of something very minimal. I think it's so easy, and I'm talking from a production point of view, but it's so easy to get lost in the sea of, you know, oh, I need this plugin and that plugin and, you know, I need every UAD plugin that's ever existed before I can make good music. And the reality is, you know, discipline yourself, get get one channel strip and yeah. put that on every single channel on, on in Pro Tools or whatever you use, Logic, and um and and see if you can make something really good yeah. just with one plugin, you know, yeah. and a reverb and and go for it. You know, so for me, I definitely would declutter a lot of my life. Yeah. And just get back to making something really good with the people around me. Mm. So. so good. So um is there anything that y'all are currently working on that you want to talk about? Um, you know, we're always just kind of writing and, and working towards more stuff like with church. And that, I mean, that really obviously is, is, um, kind of the, the focus of our passion right now is, is church life. Um, and you know, the worship that's coming out of there. And so, 
you know, we're just plugging away at that, writing some more and, and, and bringing songs to church. So, yeah. Yeah. So how can people interact with you? Uh, theblogging.co is our church. Yeah. com is my website, but it's not really that interesting anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, mo- most of what we do is, is kind of through the church or through Instagram. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Very cool. Come hang out with us. Well, thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. It's great to be here, man. Thank you. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Made It in Music podcast, produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone. Next episode on the Made It in Music podcast is with Jesse Frazier, hit maker, producer, songwriter, publisher, entrepreneur, all of the above. This one was absolutely inspiring. This guy's been on a, uh, a hit streak of just home run after home run after home run. If you've heard the latest Little Big Town single, if you've heard Thomas Rhett, um, he's been a part of all of those. Florida Georgia Line, the list goes on and on and on. So do not miss that one. And we've even got a special bonus episode or two sneaking up in the near future. So keep your eyes peeled, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>